0: Welcome back to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cirelli. We've got an interesting guest. And I'm going to read through this. Because one of the lines, I think, is a display of your, your humility. Uh, well intended. But after I read this. So you have piloted 16 different aircrafts. To include the Axiom AX-1 mission to space. You're a rated helicopter pilot. You've... Gone down to the Mariana Trench, 36,000 feet. Is that accurate? You did a halo jump from 38,000. What's the exact number? I think it's
1: 38,167 feet uh, out of a hot air
0: balloon. You've won over 70 race car events. You've been doing that since 1982. Off and on. Off and on. Rafted some of the most complex rivers, summited Kilimanjaro, summited Rainier, and created a firm that has $4 billion under asset. Uh, I would say, Mike, that's accurate, but uh,
1: I would also say it's never an eye game, it's a we game. And I
0: love that. And great leaders have that in common, but it's just Larry considers himself a pretty normal guy. If that is normal, I am falling far short as a human being (laughs) and a man. But you have not lost your taste for living life and adventure. Accurate. What drives you? Well,
1: I think each endeavor is unique. But I think the common thread is challenge and purpose. You know, when it's all said and done, you know, have you made any difference? And if you're really going to make a difference, you know, I think you need to kind of aim high. Be willing to do kind of daring things. By the way, not stupid. You know, we always believe you never take just risk for risk. The thrill seekers are probably young and short-lived. So my belief is you never take unacceptable risk, but you have to, if you're really going to be different, if you're going to make a difference in the world, if you're going to help other people, you're going to have to be willing to take some risk and you're going to have to be willing to fail. You know, I, I think we think that that's the first step in the process to, uh, to success.
0: I love, and I, and I found this in the research, he only embarks on adventure, adventure if he can do it safely and successfully. And I had a guest yep. on who does the big wave surfing out in Portugal, and, and he climbs mountains, and he said, I seek challenge, not danger. And yep. I know for a lot of people, they they think, oh, he's just a, a thrill seeker. And it's amazing, as you get more of these under, under your belt, you are able to mitigate risk to the lowest level possible without... Ever eliminating it you
1: can't yeah i think you're completely right and given your background and expertise you understand that that's part of the reason why you're still here today you know and and yeah and so experience and some wisdom certainly is beneficial like on the alpha five project where y- you know we took a team of five for air force pararescue Immensely talented PJs and one amateur, that would be me, and built a balloon, the biggest that's ever been built in the United States, flew the thing to 38,000 feet. By the way, there's very good reasons why nobody's ever done that before and not likely to do it anytime soon. And we were able to do it successfully, first defined as we got back on the ground safe. So Yeah, experience and thoughtfulness and people. You know, we always believe in the three P's. You got to start with the right people. You got to have a plan. And then you really got to stick to the process or processes or systems. And that's, I mean, the reality is, you know, we did the Alpha 5 project. I think in part why I'm here who support Special Operations Warrior Foundation, which I know, Mike, you're really familiar with. Tremendous organization that has supported over 1,500 families of special operators who have made the ultimate sacrifice. And, you know, as I look back on that, I think ignorance was an advantage. <laughs> we didn't know. I'm like, start talking to these guys and but fortunately, because of them, not me, we were able to plan it and and with the right people and pull it off.
0: And you guys did. And yes, I am a fan of the Special Operations Warrior Foundation, run by a good man Clay Huttmacher. And uh, my, my personal favorite is you have you've gotten to know Sean Corgan. Sean Corgan, absolutely great guy. He the first time I met him was at a Special Operations Warrior Foundation event. My wife and I were sort of out of place because they had a smaller event before a bigger event. And it was all generals not really uh, the uh, the crowd I hung with or uh, attained that rank. And he was so sweet. He came up to me and introduced himself, talked to my wife and he's, he's telling stories because I'm going somewhere with this. I start to realize who he is because he was a little bit of a legend within the JSOC community. And he steps away for a second and, and I look at my wife and I'm like, oh my God, that's Sean Corrigan. Now I know who he is because he's what? Sean is, I think, five, seven. I'm not trying to undercut him. He, he's a smaller man. And I looked at my wife and said,
1: that may be tall. He might be shorter than that.
0: <laughs> Sean, I've got nothing to respect. I looked at yeah. my wife and said, don't, don't think a small package isn't lethal. Yeah. That is one man I would never. And he's the kindest. He goes yeah. to, I always talk about the most lethal warriors are the kindest, the most empathetic and respectful, but they have the ability to turn the switch and dial sure. down the empathy and bring the pain to those that uh, deserve it. Um, I've got one question before I want to go back into your, your background uh, and upbringing. Who do you hang out with? Are, who does a man like you hang out with? Who do you surround uh, yourself? Because I'm a, b- we are big believers in the everyday warrior of tribe and iron shirt and iron. Yeah, so
1: real people. And I don't really care what your background is. I don't care about what your pedigree is. I don't really care when, you, where you went to school. I don't really care what your title is. You know, first and foremost, are you a real person? You know, what does that mean? I mean, you're genuine, you're authentic, uh, you have integrity, you have ethics. You know, kind of the fundamental things. And I think you can learn. I love to learn. And I think you can learn so much from so many different people. And elite people come from all walks of life. I'll give you just one example. I'll digress for just a second. At our company, we have a partner program. And what's unique about it is I think you know we're in the real estate investment business. We operate in 19 cities around the United States. We have 450 associates. We have 71 people who are partners. A couple of them are groundskeepers. Keep in mind, those are the people who pick up trash at an apartment community. But they are exceptional at doing that. And when I say a partner, they're a full equity partner, which means they share in all the profits from operations, sales, tax benefits, everything else like that. And I think those are the real people, and I think those are the people that I suspect you would tend to hang out
0: with. Amen. Amen. Groundskeepers, that's amazing. You ever heard the story, and I'm sure it's fable, about Lyndon B. Johnson when he was visiting NASA and he walks by a custodian, a uh, black man, and Lyndon B. Johnson says, what are you doing, old man? How are you doing? He said, I'm good, Mr. President. Just trying to put a man on the moon. Yeah, that's great. That's mindset. No, I have
1: not heard that story, but yeah. Is, is That'll right tell you something about somebody.
0: It does, and that, that his mindset was, regardless of my role at NASA... Uh, he, he had the mindset if he was contributing to that uh, that mission, which is sometimes hard to convince in people. And you said people, plans, process, and systems. Man, the people part is the hardest.
1: Well, anything worthwhile doing is hard. Absolutely. And so, but that's no excuse. And by the way, you know, we've talked about COVID and during that period, oh, you can't find. Yeah, I get it. It's always hard, in our opinion, to find exceptional people, but it is never impossible. But you have to be willing to be incredibly disciplined to the process, and you can't compromise. I mean, if you're going to really, I don't care what it is, if you're going to be exceptional, military, business, not-for-profit, you name it, if you're really going to be exceptional, you got to be truly, underscore the word, truly different.
0: How do you start that? You start that with the right group of people. Mm. Fill the bus, the rest happens. So you guys are based out of Dayton, Ohio. Is that accurate? Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> we, hey, the flyover states. I'm, I'm convincing my wife once we, because uh, you know coming from the Bay Area, I've seen this movie before, the property value will go up. All the New Yorkers and Californians are moving here. Yeah. And I said, maybe we are finding a Tulsa, a Dayton, Des Moines, yeah. and we're going to go make our dollars stretch far. But are you uh, an Ohioan?
1: Yeah, I moved to Ohio when I was uh, 10 years old, and uh, so yeah, I would say I am uh, Ohioan, and I think you're completely right, by the way. The Midwest is really misunderstood. You know, we've had the good fortune to operate, like Austin, as I told you, when I, get, I love Austin. We've been here for about 12 years. We're in Denver, Phoenix. Tampa, Fort Lauderdale, Charlotte, Nashville. A lot of what you would call really high-profile lifestyle cities. And by the way, they're all great. But there's a lot to be said for the heartland of America. Absolutely.
0: What did uh, your parents do? What was, what was the family like?
1: Yeah, so my father was uh, former military for a period of time. He got out of that. Uh, he... It's an interesting story. Uh, He went to school on the East Coast. They were both from New England. And in 1938, he entered the Marine Corps. Mm. Well, his timing was either good or bad, depending upon how you look at it. And so uh, he stayed in there till 45, 46. So he was there for multiple you know, world renowned campaigns. He was at Guadacanal, other places. Mm. He has a silver star, two bronze, three Purple Hearts. Uh, and and but he would never, you, you may know this by some of the older gen, they he would never talk about it. Even if you ever asked him. Kind of a little bit before he died, he'd talk a little yeah. bit about yeah. it. But if you said, well tell me all about that, honestly I cannot. It was honor, duty, and service. And he ended up staying in the reserves, left there as a lieutenant colonel. Personally, I think he should have stayed in the military. I think he would have been phenomenal in the military. But uh, I think my mom, his wife, kind of said, I'm not staying in the military. for Well, as you know, I mean, you did it. For the spouses,
0: my opinion, hard life the unsung heroes. Yeah. Cause selfishly we yep. want to go over there Yep, and then you leave them with everything, potentially yep. kids.
1: Totally um, agree
0: with the anxiety of, is my loved one going to come home? And yep. I, I, I don't think I could ever truly empathize with that until I got out and started yep. to look back and say, Oh damn, I put it, I put her through that. Yeah. And unfortunately it ended in a, uh, failed marriage for me, two amazing kids. But, uh, yep. There were definitely things uh i would change how how was the transition for your father
1: i don't know because he never really
0: talked about it but
1: he became pretty successful in business worked for a company rose to be like a senior vice president and and uh, but i think his real calling and his real love was the the military
0: in the marine corps yeah yeah it is a unique organization i actually started out in the marine corps god bless and i credit yeah. them for well i've got to credit the folks for laying mm-hmm. the foundation the uh marine corps took an 18 year old that didn't want to listen to anyone mm-hmm. and had the life figured out said no you don't um eventually i'm doing with the traditional route college i'm assuming
1: Well, traditional, non-traditional. So I was a terrible student in high school, barely got out of there. But this is an interesting story. In the state of Ohio at the time, if you graduated from high school, there was a school there called Ohio University, not to be confused with Ohio State, that had to take you. So all my other classmates were going out, going to all these different schools. You know, they go around, look at all these. I didn't have that problem. There was only one school who would take me, so by default, that's where I went. And literally at the orientation, they said, look to your right, look to your left. One or both of those people will not be here at the end of this freshman year. And they are absolutely correct. The flunk out rate at the time was over 50%. Somehow I made it my way through and then um, got serious about school and ended up doing uh, doing pretty well. Ah, maturity. It's amazing yeah. what happens. Maturity and, and reality <laughs> coupled together,
0: I would agree. Paying the bills is hard, yep. especially if you're not prepared. What uh, what was the foray into real estate investments? I mean, did you start out in that out of college, or did you do? No, things? no,
1: no. I. Uh, uh... So the backstory is, I got out. I ended up working for a company where I traveled all over the world for three and a half years, putting on business meetings, conventions, things like that. You didn't make any money, but it was an incredible experience. I mean, I, I. Lived in North Africa for a while, lived in Mexico for a while. You know, I would go to Europe like 10, 12 times a year, Far East, things like that. And then I'm like, well, okay, now I got to quit doing that and I got to try to get real. So I actually started a bar and restaurant. Now, first off, I had no money. Second, the only thing I'd ever done at a restaurant was be a busboy and a dishwasher. But I didn't think that should disqualify me from starting it. So we did. And we didn't we raised it's kind of funny we raised $52,500 I can remember. And I and a partner of mine and you had to go get a securities license. I drew the short straw. I had to go to Columbus to take tests. I failed the test. Had to go back like a month later, pass the test. And we finally, after about nine months, raised all the money. By the way, by comparison today, we just did a small raise. Well, in the last 18 months, I think we raised $480 million. (laughs) So so the numbers are a little bit different. Anyway, turned out to be unbelievably successful. Uh, Sold the business a couple years later. The investors got uh, about a 300% return on their investment after like two years. And so they said, boy, what are we gonna do next? And I had an interest in real estate. So I started into that, then this thing, so I then I took a hard left. This thing called the microcomputer came out in the early 80s. I'm like, that's the wave of the future. So I started a computer business based in Orlando, Florida, where we sold hardware and software. We started in retail, quickly went to business to business. Bottom line is I was involved in that for nine years, grew the business unbelievably, never hardly made any money, and ended up going out of business. Colossal failure. So here I am. I'm age 40. I'm dead broke. I got a wife, two kids, and a farm in Ohio. Actually, I'm worse than dead broke. Because not only do I have no money and no job, I had borrowed $900,000 from a bunch of small little banks. And this is $900,000 in 1990. And
0: your your name is on the- Yeah,
1: my name. Personally guaranteed Mm. them all. And so this is about doing the right thing, regardless of the adversity. And so I said, somehow, some way, I'm going to pay them all back. Four years later, I paid them all back, and we had started the uh,
0: real estate investment firm. And as they say, the rest is history. That's a rarity these days. And the reason I say that is a handshake from where I come from is as good as gold. It's going to get Completely agree. In the business world, I found, I mean, we've had clients that just skip out on invoices.
1: unfortunately, you're very accurate, but it doesn't make it right. The reality is, at least at our shop, our firm, if you tell somebody you're going to do it, even if it's a huge mistake, we're going to honor that commitment. And we've made multi-million dollar mistakes because we verbally committed to something that We should have done more research. Fortunately, there haven't been too many. But, you know, we have five core values. And the number one thing is do the right thing. And as you know, the vast majority of people, they know what the right thing is. The question is, are you going to do it, especially if it's difficult or painful?
0: For us, that's just a non-negotiable. I love that. And and I I believe that once people understand your character, it's almost like the superpower in business.
1: Completely agree. If you're really playing, one of our other core values is always think long-term, not short-term. So if you're going to really play the long game, whether it's in life or business, sports, adventure, you name it, then your reputation, character, probably the two most important assets you have, mm. along with your people.
0: I had a, uh, the fortunate pleasure of sitting down with Secretary uh, Schultz, who was a Iwo Jima Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was before his uh, his passing. But he said, trust is the coin of the realm. Not money. Trust is the coin of the realm. And that has always stuck with me and sort of been a guiding principle of I never want to go back on my word. And I know sometimes you give people your word and you're well intended, but the reality of the situation, as long as your forthright comes forward and say, hey, this was what intended, it's not what happened, and I'll make it right in some form or, or, or fashion. Absolutely great. How many guys uh, partnered? Well, actually, let me, let me ask you this. The, the hardware and the software business, was that your greatest lesson learned? I mean, I found that failure. I got a PhD in failure so the answer would be yes (laughs) but did that experience for nine years guide you with Connor Group so if you said to me it appears you've been fairly successful
1: that's probably accurate what do you attribute that to well again it still comes back to the people but the nine years of mistakes, and failure, I'm convinced, created the foundational blocks for success. By the way, it was no fun going through it. But with the value of hindsight,
0: worthwhile. When that went under, I mean, there naturally, you go through a reflection phase and, and there's a little despair. I mean, there, there must have been days where you asked yourself, oh, shit what am I going to do? Or are you the type of guy that said, hey, it's done, we're moving forward?
1: Uh, I did both. Mm. I mean, it's human nature. Absolutely. You know, it's like, oh my God. Everything I built, all the money I had made before, I lost it all. I had investors. but not a lot of them. But you know, you have an obligation to any investor. They have trusted you with their money. I was very upfront, very, so then you feel that loss, that disappointment, that failure. But, you know, you know, show me somebody who's truly done something worthwhile and I'll show you somebody who's overcome adversity. And so skip the postmortems, focus forward, right? What did you learn? Right?
0: And keep moving forward. When you started Connor Group, and I have a deep fascination for what I call uh, warriors within the private sector. Mm -hmm. This has been the hardest challenge. And maybe I've lost a little uh, perspective, but this has seemed to be more hard starting businesses than war was. And maybe it was just because I was surrounded by guys that were that good. Sure. Collectively, just as you said, we... Rather than me. Yeah. We had a strong team. Everyone knew their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Accountability and trust were the foundation upon which those relationships were built. But I've never seen a more resource-constrained environment than the business world. It's I mean, we we had the luxury of the American taxpayer dollars to get mm-hmm. whatever we wanted. This is this is profoundly hard. And I think that's why I'm enjoying it, because I'm still making not multi-million dollar mistakes, but I'm making you know, ten, twenty thousand dollar mistakes and learning along the way was Connor Group a instant success, or was it a slow building period?
1: Well, no, we had a lot of success, but you got to remember we had a decades of failure to be, to build on. So, so yeah, we we uh, you know I think a lot of times. It, by the way, you're completely right. Starting a business is incredibly rewarding but it's incredibly difficult and frankly it's not for most people to do. And so if you don't have true grit and we define that as passion, determination, resiliency, okay? If you don't have that, you're probably better off not starting a business. I don't I don't care what type of business it is. But it can also be incredibly, you know, rewarding. So, yeah. And the other thing that I think is that people tend to overcomplicate things. I think brilliance can be simplicity. So you have to have kind of a razor vision about where you're at and where you want to go. You need to be what we call narrow and deep, not wide and thin, and you got to have that right group. By the way, it could be one or two people. You were fortunate in that you had a team of really talented. By the way, my experience is when you got this team of really talented people and you're going to do the impossible, because of this group, it's not as difficult as it would appear to be. Do you agree?
0: Oh, I agree. And we didn't always get along. Yeah, I'm not saying those we we had a a common love for one another. But when you put strong personalities together, they don't always get along, they don't always agree. But teams have a way of figuring it out. I think though, yeah, I agree. But at the end,
1: I believe you gotta have kind of alignment and you gotta be in sync from a fundamental Mm -hmm. philosophical and belief standpoint. If you have that even though you can argue and disagree, you can still, when you're in the midst of the mission, the mission can be business, military, sports, whatever. That will carry you through if you have that fundamental.
0: If you're not aligned, uh, that's probably going to be a problem. And you, you took the words out of uh, out of my mouth. I mean, the thing about that's easy about the military is alignment towards a mission is not hard. And it's been ingrained in you. Yeah. and regardless of personalities we knew what the objective was we knew what the desired end state was or the goal and guys were going to get there one way or the other whether mm-hmm. it was your plan or my plan eventually guys got around that um larry you know you you brought up starting a small business uh, and i'm 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 going to sort of paraphrase i think something like 90% of businesses go out of business before the 5 year mark accurate be beyond the you know product market fit and in, in all those things from a people perspective, what what have you seen? Again, you basically have a PhD at this point. Uh, what is the one thing that goes wrong with those companies that don't make it? Because some of them have great products or great services, sure. but they just yeah. they fail.
1: It's actually two things, but they're kind of the same. People and culture or culture and people. If you have those two things, People who are, we just talked about, truly from a philosophy, belief, aligned. And then they uh, possess certain, what we call, core personality. We hire based upon core personality traits, by the way. We don't really care what your pedigree is. We don't really care what your background. We don't really care where you went to school. By the way, depending upon the... the the, the the role you're going to play? Do you have some knowledge and experience? We agree. And so for us, we have kind of what we call the big six. If you really have that, keep in mind, I've never said a word about money. If you really have that, you really have a chance. If you don't have that, you're going to be in the 90%, at least in our
0: opinion and experience. We often say, well, I mean, it goes back to the, uh, it's it's like the Pareto principle, eighty twenty, or the powers law, an exponential amount of your results are driven by a small percentage of your people. That's that's true across any profession. That's true across any industry, regardless of what you do. But you know, it's you. We, we, we as you're saying this, I'm thinking of Herb Kelleher who used to say, we don't hire for experience or skill. We we hire for great attitudes. If you have that, we can teach you the rest. Mm-hmm. And there, there is, within technical roles, a degree of experience sure. you have to bring. <clears throat> yeah, and look how phenomenally
1: successful Southwest was with a, key thing, radically different model that when he started, everybody thought he was nuts. When they tell you, you're crazy, you can't do that, that's impossible, there's a good chance you're on the right path.
0: Though, I've got to say, Southwest has probably gone downhill since uh, oh, Herb do Well, I, I, but I think avoid... about that.
1: Well, I, by the way, outsider looking in, if you look at where they are today and the problems they've had in the last few years versus where they were 10, 20 years ago, something has dramatically changed.
0: And Herb Callaher is not there. So... He did an amazing job, which goes, you know, you brought up people and culture, and what I'm holding right here is a culture book, which one of your people sent out to me, The Connor Group. Mm -hmm. This is a total of... It's a quick read. It's a quick read. (laughs) Yeah. 98 pages, talking about people, systems, communication, planning and meetings, leadership, failure and mistakes, accountability, problems and solutions, decision-making habits, and I love this one, kids and community partners, which we'll, we'll get to that. But sure. I want to read some of these leadership nego- uh, non-negotiables. How long did it take you to write this thing?
1: So 15 months. I and another fella uh, credit the other fella, Ryan Ernst, with doing the uh, bulk of the work. And really what it is is a compilation of all the things that we've learned, experienced, failed, changed. And so somebody i believe it was ryan said we need as we continue to grow we need to reduce this to writing so that we can not only new people recruiting you know recruiting is huge as you know if you're going to get talent you need a compelling story because really talented people have options and so yeah it was a lot of work but i think it turned out to be worthwhile is, it, is this available to the market or is this internal? Uh, no, we, we, we don't actively market it, but we're from the school of thought. We're a complete open book. We'll tell you anything about what we do. And if we can help you, we'd like to. And frankly, we don't want
0: anything in return. So when I step into companies, rarely, and I've told them this, you need a culture book. We've got a playbook for our companies, which yep. is in PDF, but we put a lot of time into it. Sure. So that people know where they stand, what it takes to be successful. I want to read this though. And, and I would encourage companies to find a copy of this and, and plagiarize the hell out of it. It'll at least start you and, fi- and then find what fits and works for you based off of your industry uh, and your culture. But the leadership non-negotiables, and I found these very interesting. I'm going to read through these and let you just go off because there's, there's a lot, the viewers and listeners can learn from this. As a leader at the Connor Group, You must have extraordinarily high expectations for yourself and your team. Give honest, direct, and clear feedback. It's the right thing to do, even though in this world, directness is now sort of seen as, uh, I guess, non-empathy. Act like an owner. Never assume anything. Inspect what you expect. Loyalty and emotions cannot supersede or take the place of honest, evidence-based evaluation, especially when it comes to core values. Look at the facts and give clear feedback. Every leader must decide between one, letting go like likable but incapable people and two, keeping the nice but incapable people and not achieving goals. Whether or not you can make these hard decisions is the strongest determinant of your own success or failure. Check the checker. If you don't keep inspecting a particular behavior, people will think it's no longer important and will quit doing so. Trust but verify. Never grant authority to someone who has not earned it. Don't blame bad outcomes on anyone but yourself. Leaders accept blame and spread praise. Never place anybody anybody in a permanent leadership role if you're not enthusiastically sure they'll perform at an 8.25 or above. That's a very interesting number. Yeah, we use a
1: whole grading kind of scale, and that would be like an A minus. They got to be an A player, basically, if they're going to be in a leadership role.
0: I mean, as you read these, I mean, these are things that have been passed down from the the beginning of man. Um, But these are, I mean, they seem very direct up front.
1: They are very direct. And that's why we tell people. Our place is not the place for most people to work, but it is the best place for certain people to work. And we live by those. I mean, if you go, well, are you selective in those? The answer is no. Are you flexible on those? The answer is no. Are you willing to compromise? That
0: would also be a no. So. High expectations, high standards. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like. Across this nation, not getting into the political realm, we've lowered our standards for American citizens. Look, and I'll give you an example. Oregon, I don't know if you remember this one. it was mid-COVID. Partly this, this law went into place for uh, for COVID and, and students being remote. But basically students didn't have to pass classes in order to get a high school diploma.
1: Well, I'm not familiar with the Oregon, but... Uh... But if you're asking my opinion about standards, I would agree that, and by the way, whether it's Republicans, Democrats, whatever, Mm -hmm. that there certainly are people and there certainly is mindsets that standards and accountability and expectation. You brought up a good point earlier. Clear, honest, direct. By the way, it should be constructive. Mm. They may not like it, but constructive. Yeah, it's not in vogue, but honestly, Mike, we've never paid attention to what anybody else is doing. You know, we're guided by a set of beliefs and principles. And as I told you, number one is always do the right thing. So, integrity, ethics. I mean, I fired senior partners who didn't live up to those. Didn't necessarily hurt the business, but they didn't conduct themselves. So, I think we're a little bit, by the way, uh, like special forces. And I've had the good fortune to meet a number of people and have huge underscore the word huge admiration and respect for what you all have done and so our business is a little bit like selection process (laughs) and and i've had other people uh, uh, from various branches of the military and and you know again it's 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 back to, do you want to be elite? But elite the right way, by the way. Yes. Or do you want to not be? And I think the United States has the best fighting forces in the world, frankly. I think some, not all, but some Americans do not begin to understand the sacrifice that people like you and lots of other people have made and their willingness to go any place in the world, lead their families, extended periods of time, put themselves in harm's way, not once, not twice, multiple times. Personally, I know I'm getting a little bit on tangent here, but personally, I think the United States government, I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat, we ought to be able to get united on saying, we owe these folks a debt of gratitude. Are we really taking care of them when it's time for them to transition to the next phase of life? My personal opinion is no. So I'll get off my soapbox now and,
0: <laughs> and answer the next question. Well, I, I, I appreciate the feedback on that. Um, and, and you know, God love my brothers and sisters in arms. Uh, it is not an easy transition. There's no sugarcoating that. But it also, if you take the skills that the military or special operations taught you, they gave you the playbook on how to Mm -hmm. be successful. It just requires you to evolve to a different culture, which the private sector and civilian sector are a wildly different culture. But Mm -hmm. you'd move from one deployment in Iraq and the next deployment, you're in Afghanistan. The deployment after that, you're in Africa, which are vastly different environments. And guys had the ability to evolve. Yep. I don't don't know what changes there. Nobody has a good answer. Um, But... You know, Larry, one, the fact that you guys took time to, to, to write this out, um, God, I love when a commanding officer would call me in and say, hey, this is where you stand. These are your roles and responsibilities. These are the behaviors I expect to see. It gave you, it gave you your left and right lateral limit. Yeah. And you knew how to succeed clarity. That clarity. And funny enough, when they were done speaking, I would actually say, okay, here are my expectations of you, sir. And I'd say, if you see me do something wrong, Provide me the feedback. Yeah. I probably don't know what I'm doing. Let me fail unless it's going to be catastrophic. Sure. But that struck a lot of my commanding officers is that usually you were on receive mode. And my number one thing was accountability, which I believe is the foundation of everything.
1: Yeah. So an interesting way to put it that somebody else, not me, did. Hey, look, I'm going to let you drive that car. I'm going to let you scratch and dent it a bit. I'm just not going to let you total it. And we'll learn along the way. Well, that's how you do. Mistakes. You know, if people can get past their emotional mind of mistakes, failure, and simply learn from it, in our experience, it's really powerful. But it's hard to do. If you can simply say every time you fail, okay, okay. First response is, what did I learn? I work hard at this. Sometimes successfully, sometimes not. And that if you can move into that kind of move forward
0: solution mode,
1: it's, you know, my
0: experience really powerful. Mm. And you said something earlier about there's an admiration for special operations, but we both know special operations learned it from everyone else. Of course, you know, historical military units that were elite, the conventional military itself, but also the business world. In the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, some of the large expansion until special operations were created by JFK when he uh, created the, uh, or authorized the creation of the Army Special Forces, the Green Berets. Mm-hmm. But we've taken the playbook from everyone else and just rewritten it in our format to our culture to, to, to create a world-class organization. But we yeah. still learn from the business world.
1: Yeah, I actually think, though, that you guys have taken it to the next level. I, I don't see very many. In fact, damn few businesses have I seen, been involved in, uh, that are outside of our, our own core business, that rise to the level uh you know talent expectation ability to be able to execute on the fly that at least my exposure has been to special operators
0: we still get it wrong from time to time sure Um, anybody's gonna get it wrong yeah i'll tell you about a trip i helped put together because we we had this trip to uh normandy scheduled what we call battlefield reviews Mm -hmm. where we walk in the shoes of past commanders and learn from their mistakes and their successes and the personalities involved. Well, sequestration hit, it was like 2011 or 2012 and the trip was viewed as extravagant. So my yep. CEO, who is now an admiral, great dude, uh, great leader. Um, and man, he drove a standard and he held me accountable a few times, even when I didn't want to. Um, but he said, Mike, what do we do? And I said, Hey, why don't we go to Silicon Valley? Let's see if we can do a leadership exchange with, with top leaders. Secretary uh, George Schultz was one of them. Sergey Brin, Mark Benioff, Larry Ellison was interesting. Uh, We had Tim Cook um, and uh, a a few others. Oh, Bill Campbell, who's the secret coach of Silicon Valley. When we sat down with him, I'm going to tell you right now, it was not an exchange whatsoever. We were on receive mode from what are cutting organizations. (laughs) That talented group of people. And Bill Campbell, who owned a bar in... uh, in Palo Alto said, hey, I've gotten in this upper room if you guys need it for any reason. Well, on the last day, it was a three-day event. We went up there and we didn't leave that room for six hours and it was just eye-opening to watching how these business leaders, which we've come to the realization that leadership in the military is, is actually pretty easy when people are so emotionally bought in. You had to bleed, sweat, and, mm-hmm. and cry to make it into that community. For yep. six months, you, you gave your body. But in the business world, You don't have the luxury of that shared hardship and adversity. And so you actually have to lead at a higher standard and expectation and level altogether in order to take people from vastly different backgrounds who sometimes are coin-operated and forge them into a team. And I think that's where, as I evolve, because I'm only five years retired, is I have more fascination for highly successful business leaders of course, looking at how they got there and the way they conducted themselves, as you talked about, do the right thing in character and not stepping on people to, to, to get to the top. But you guys are a different breed. And I've, I've said this probably six months ago I started this. Some of the best business leaders like you run circles around our top generals because you've had to face a vastly more difficult environment in which uh, to lead in.
1: Well, I'm not familiar with your top general,
0: so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> where I, I want to get into the adventure piece, and, and if there's a way to direct people to find this, uh, guys, this is worth a read. I read it last night, and you know, uh, I talked about our playbook. I'm blown away, uh, but this is also 40, 50 years of of work experience, where I'm I'm only five years in the private sector. Where did the adventure piece? start was that something when you were young were you always seeking challenge i mean the race car driving the and especially in the wake of the uh well what was the name of the uh submarine that just imploded the titan titan yeah i mean i i love the skydiving i love the race car driving i would love to go to space and even being a seal i'll tell you that is one adventure i would not do where 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 did where did this start
1: titan was a tragic event Because of my uh, research dives I did in the Mariana Trench, we did three of them. Uh, That was, in my opinion, completely avoidable. You had an experimental sub using carbon fiber. Even I, as kind of a rookie, would know that's not something you're going to use. It did not get DMV certified. That's huge. That's a Norwegian company. It's very expensive. takes a long time. But here's a little known fact. So in the last 50 years, with any submersible that's been DMV certified, has there ever been a loss of life? No the kidding. answer is
0: no. Not once in 50 years. But I'm going to assume the market is relatively unregulated. And so- these people got past.
1: Well, yeah, they just made it as uh, uh, this fella who, by the way, I, people have asked me, no, I didn't know that Stockton Rush. Uh, the fella that I did all the dives with, Patrick Lahi, who is the founder of Triton, not to be confused with these other people, yes. Triton submarines based in Florida and also operation in Barcelona, Spain. He's considered probably the preeminent pilot in the world in the Hadel zone, which is below 19,000 feet. Uh, He had a close friend, the Frenchman, I forget his name, who perished in that. So step back and think about this for a second. You'll understand this. If you're Stockton Rush and you choose to kill yourself, well, okay, I guess that's a personal decision. Why did you take four other people with you? To me, that's that's just not right. So, again, we're back to what we talked about at the beginning. We will not do something. People ask me, would you have gone on that? Even though I'm not an expert, but with my knowledge, there's not a chance in the world I've done it. Because it doesn't meet the standard,
0: can we do it safely and then successfully? So The submersible, I've got to assume that was extremely tight and small. Was it only you and the
1: pilot? So, yeah, there's just two of us, and it's called the limiting factor, and it's the only submersible known in the world that could go to those depths 36,000 feet. Allegedly, the Chinese have one, but nobody's ever seen it. And, yes, it's basically a titanium ball that's five feet wide and five feet high, and there's two of you in there. So it is very tight quarters. How long of a ride is that? uh so the first dive we did was right at 12 and a half hours about four hours down uh another four hours on the bottom doing research and then about uh uh well actually no i think we were probably four and a half hours on the bottom and then about three and a half four hours right back up and you're you're watching everything
0: through screens I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, what's interesting is, is that, keep in mind, when you get below 600 feet, it's dark, and we're going to 36,000 feet. So you have a couple of small viewing portals, and you have lights, and you have cameras. And, but the, yeah, the viewing is not, not great. What's interesting, though, is when you're at the bottom, the water is really pretty much crystal clear. The issue is, we're trying to operate the sub, and I ended up doing a fair amount of the piloting because Patrick Lahey was working this mechanical arm, which is very tricky. I tried to operate it, I couldn't. So I'm like, Patrick, you better take over. And he's gathering these samples and things. So you're trying to go along the bottom or sometimes up hills, or it could even be cliffs, and trying to keep that because it's all silt. And if you touch the silt, which, by the way, I did more than one time, it just kicks up and you just got to sit and hover there for like two minutes till it finally clears and you can move on.
0: But, yeah, extraordinary experience. I bet not as extraordinary as space, though.
1: They're both different, but if you said, hey, pick one, yeah,
0: I'd probably take the space. I've got to assume it just gives you a different perspective on the world from other
1: yeah it's an interesting discussion mike you you know many people come back and say hey does that that uh change who you are how and and uh, multiple reporters asked me that and i know they're very disappointed And my answer was no (laughs) i mean it was unbelievably cool you know the ride up was great although i actually like the ride down re-entry was better uh and living on the station, I loved living on station. And I was fortunate I adapted super quick. By day two, I was floating around. The views that you can see, it's one of those kind of things. You can't really do it justice unless you've actually been there. You, you've you been yeah. in environments that you can try to explain it. You can show them pictures to be, but actually be there in the midst of it is a different uh different deal. What I think, though, is important to note, our mission was 17 days. Extraordinary. But the backstory is, originally, they had kind of said, well, these guys are space tourists. Couldn't be farther from the truth. I spent 10 months basically full-time training. Keep in mind, they had never trained a private citizen. The commander, Mike Lopez-Alegria, was a Hall of Fame astronaut. Mm-hmm. And so he and I started a couple of months before the two mission specialists did. And the NASA astronaut crew, all the crews, phenomenally talented. I mean, I think their most recent class, I think they had 20,000 applicants for 40 slots. And one of the things you have to do, which you may know, you have to have advanced STEM degrees, science, engineering, medical. I have none of the above. (laughs) And so you talk about being in the deep end of the pool and trying to keep your head above water. So especially the first three or four months of training. And, you know, so, so yes, absolutely. I would go back again. And yes, there is another potential mission in the works. Congratulations. But I cannot go I, into the details, and, and 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 if you ask me, well, what do you think? Is it going to happen, and when? I think it would be twenty twenty six if it does, maybe twenty twenty seven, and it's a longer duration, probably more like thirty or forty days. Wow! And we got to get a lot of approvals from NASA, which I'm hopeful, but I'm not sure that that will happen. And and but the mission that we did the seventeen days, we conducted over. 200 hours of groundbreaking research. Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic were two of the institutions that I was closely aligned with. And uh, I was game, but let me tell you, I wasn't that qualified to do them.
0: I'm a fan of the commercialization of space. Blue Origin, and uh, we actually went and watched Virgin Galactic. What what, what mission was it? Like 002? Yeah. Um, Watching civilians that did not go through the program, it was a much truncated program. I think sure. days. Yeah, it's
1: basically one day, and you're in space for you know like ten minutes. By the way, I think that's absolutely fine, and I agree with you. It's a position in our case. Instead of one day and ten minutes, we were seventeen days and ten months. So it's a we're, we're private astronauts, and there are different designations. Yes. Yes. There's a, a space tourist. There's a space participant, and then the highest level is going to be the private astronaut.
0: Absolutely. And they've got a long list. They're booked out for, I think, a decade, they say. They said on a uh, Yeah, I'll tell you something trips. that's
1: really interesting that might be interesting to your viewers. But keep in mind, I don't have a background in space, but I was immersed in this for well over a year. And the good news to report is. United States has a clear, clear advantage over anybody in the world, including the Chinese. And by the way, I'm not paranoid, I'm not a doomsday, but make no mistake, we as Americans, we as the federal government, We as, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent, need to keep that in mind and need to make it a priority because he who controls space is going to control the ground, and the Chinese are coming. We, as Americans, get to choose whether we stay ahead or we let them start to not only gain on us, but get to us and maybe eclipse us. And I don't think people spend enough time in a thoughtful conversation about that.
0: You know, again, well, you just heard Henry uh, Kissinger passed away. uh, I did. I saw that earlier this morning. I remember him and uh, Ray Dalio were were talking about you know, One, he said post-World War II, we were the economic superpower. But he mm-hmm. said that could never be maintained by the way the, the, the market it just evolves. But he said we were the clear leader of the leaders of the free world. And we've acquiesced that in ways. But um, I think people are slowly starting to understand the implications of China taking over as the leader of the and I wouldn't say free world, of the world with a very different uh, mindset. What what sucks is, you know, if you meet Chinese people, they're great. Chinese people are mm-hmm. great. It's the regime sure. that is very aggressive and, and is seeking world domination. And quite frankly, if we don't hold that line, who else will? Who else will? Yeah, you well,
1: know, I think the good news is the United States, correctly so, is still viewed as, the defender of freedom and the world leader. And 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 we're not perfect, but in a very, very positive, but I, I'm a little surprised I had the good fortune to be in Ukraine in August and be at the kind of front lines way far south. And 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 by the way, I, I don't have a military background, so this is going to be a <laughs> civilian's opinion. But I met a number of soldiers We were embedded for a day or two. A number of people, I mean, you know, the the folks in the towns and the villages and things like that, and the resolve that they have. And their message to me was, keep in mind, I wasn't really here to represent any government body or anything else like that is, we do not need your soldiers. What we need is your support. And specifically, what we need is munitions. We need artillery. We need missiles. We need F 16s. If you arm us with that, we will beat the Russians. And I am absolutely convinced of that. And they will tell you this is the fight of their life, Mm. that this is basically where you have to draw the line. And what disappoints me is, again, Republican, Democrat, whatever. Do you honestly think that if Putin was successful in Ukraine, he's going to stop there? there? So isn't it important not only for our safety long term, but all our NATO partners to get in this for the long term? I know it costs a lot of money. And, and yeah, I, I, you know, I personally think we live in the best place in the world and I think we're wildly fortunate and I think some folks understand that. And unfortunately some Americans do not.
0: Multiply our problems by five. We're still the best nation in the world. 100%. Yeah. Uh, no, it's good to hear your perspective on the, on Ukraine. I, d- I do believe it is a line that if crossed could potentially lead to World War III as you draw on the NATO partners. But in the same regard, you know, talking about accountability earlier, we need our NATO partners to step up at a greater rate because it seems like the U.S. is the purse strings for all of this. And and that's where I think a lot of people are getting frustrated with accountability of how taxpayer dollars are spent. Sure.
1: And And, yeah, from an outsider looking in, I would agree that I think – at this juncture, U.S. is uh, footing a disproportionate share of the bill, and some of the I'll other say. people, especially with countries like Germany and France and Great
0: Britain, should 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 pay a little bit more of their fair share. I think, and that's the way it's been for decades. Uh, I do want to get into Alpha 5. You know, we had uh, Jacob uh, Centeno on. Yeah. Um, I know you got to know him. He's, Great person. He's, he's Great an amazing kid. man. Uh, an amazing young man. Amazing. Uh, so, Alpha 5, you've seen the world from space. Mm-hmm. The, the highest I've gotten up to in my military days was 24999. And I know they bracket it into like 24999, <laughs> 29999, 35,000. Yeah. 35, yeah. Uh, did you see the curvature? Yeah, you can see when you're, keep in mind, what's different is
1: we weren't in an airplane. Mm -hmm. We're in an open basket. So there's no portals. There's no, there's no obstruction. And so you're up there and the view, keep in mind, we launched basically right before dawn. It is almost like surreal. And if you've seen some of the pictures from up there and you can see the curvature and then we had some contrails and yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, again, it's one of those things, you know, you really can't do it justice unless you've kind of been there.
0: I've got a 42 K coming up during the eclipse in, uh, I, I I guess Arkansas is one of the primary locations that they run this. So 42 K on April 8th, uh, so excited for that one. Not only do we get to jump from that altitude, but we, we're doing it right during the eclipse, which I think this one happens every 200 years.
1: Yeah, my reaction is that'd be an unbelievable opportunity so long as you can do it safely. I can tell you, if you and if you saw the one picture, i will have Rob Diegas, our jump master, who's, to, who's still active duty, uh, PJ, and he works with a lot, like he works with, SEAL teams and and lots of people. Yes. And, and Rob will tell you, and I have huge respect for Rob, and to a large extent we were successful because of Rob's talent and commitment that you're right at the limit of safety. And so, yeah, I'd cross all the T's and dot all the I's if I was coming out of an airplane at 42,000 feet.
0: Which, you know, you bring up a... A good point, the the phys techs are extremely important. No question. And uh, in, in what equipment you're using and b- making sure that you're following the ground. Well, how did you guys, did you have to do a ground breathe for 45 minutes to an hour? Or since you were rising so slowly? Oh, no, sure? no, no, no,
1: no. So, so we did a pre-breathe on the ground. We actually started 90 minutes there before. So we were building a big march in mm-hmm. safety. Mm-hmm. And then we had some problems on the way up. Uh, So at thirty, about 33,000 feet, uh, the uh, valve on my O2 mask froze about the same time. I didn't know at the time the pilot, uh, Shane Wall's immensely talented balloon pilot, his froze so you can breathe in, but you can't breathe out, and so our O2 technician, Ted Smith, was, I'm trying to give him the signals, you know, you can't talk, I'm trying to give him the signals, like, okay, I'll, no go, and so I'm kind of fidgeting around, and, you know, we're, we're kind of sitting up, so I got down in the balloon, somehow, it got a little bit freed up, but I'm like, Oh, this is a problem! I'm at thirty-three thousand feet, and I can't breathe. Well, probably the only solution is to leap out right here and try to. So, anyway, worked out, and and uh, but yeah, not 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 easy to do. And as I said, kind of earlier to you when we first met, there are good reasons why nobody's ever done that out of a hot air balloon.
0: How long was the climbed altitude?
1: Interestingly enough, 50
0: minutes. We got That's up there bad. quick. Yeah. That is not bad.
1: Yeah, we we had a few challenges in the 20s with the burners, but, yeah, we made it to altitude. And our objective was really 35,000 feet. But as you may know, the and as I learned, you really got to fire that thing and ascend, and then you get up. And then on the descent is when you're going to step out. And so... Uh, yeah, we didn't know we got to thirty-eight thousand. So
0: that is yes exceeded what you wanted. And that's that is a great pick. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah, that that that's that's it right there. So, and let's keep in mind. I mean, that's the challenge. Mm. But equal or more important is the purpose, and that's the Special Operations Warrior Foundation which has been around, as you know, because you've been involved, for 40 years. And they are difference makers to the family. You talked about Jacob, whose dad... Dan, Dan Healy. Dan Healy, who died in helicopter trying to go get Marcus Luttrell, right? Yes. Uh, he epitomizes why the work they do is important and valuable. So, Well,
0: that is an experience... And it's just the beauty of the terrain. Oh that oh, view. Yeah. I mean, it's, and to yeah. think people, you know, yeah. Most airlines don't fly at thirty eight thousand feet.
1: No, no. So we're looking down at airlines.
0: Fortunately there weren't any in
1: the vicinity. And honestly, I'm sure you guys ATC a and the process. FAA did a great yes. job in helping us out. And we were hand in glove with them over months before. You know, we spent a year in the preparation. I had over 90 jumps just to get prepared for doing Mm. this. And and we were on the New Mexico Military Institute campus, and they were phenomenal. The people of Roswell, New Mexico, and specifically the New Mexico Military Institute, were just unbelievably good. Again, back to your point, you can't do this alone. You know, we had a group uh, in the Alpha 5 directly involved 60 people, most of them military, most of them volunteering their time. And back behind that, we had FAA, ATC, the citizens of Roswell, New Mexico. So, I mean, it was a big effort.
0: And that is one hell of a leap right there. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's, it's almost like, screw it, let's do it, fellas. Oh, and the thing that's interesting, you can't really
1: see it here. We did, first off, the first time we tried to all step off together, that was a circus. That did not work. And in that thin air, you know, I, I, I fly pretty good. And so Brendan Doherty uh, is kind of the biggest guy. So he generally was going to, you were going to chase the bottom man and, and we did one practice jump where all of us stepped off. And I think we were at twenty six or 28,000 feet. And we never all got to him. So we finally changed it and decided that three of us would be together and step off. And how that three-man coming off the platform works, we tried to jump up. But invariably, our three-man would invert. And so we'd all be back flying. Mm -hmm. But what we found out was once we gained some speed, as long as we just held good form, it would come back right around. And so we finally said, screw it. It looks kind of wonky, but it's working. And so that's what we're going to do. And that's what successfully did. And then uh, Rob and Jimmy were the other two guys who then flew to us.
0: It's, you you know, Similar to a lot of people that jump out of helicopters, because you really have no airspeed. Yeah, it's it's almost like jumping off a building, and you've just gotta you've got to hold that position. Eventually, you pick up relative speed, and, and you're now yeah. able to fly. But you know, that's, yeah, we did uh, a number it, of helicopter
1: jumps prep.
0: Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, they're fun. Uh, you, it, we used helicopters in Everest. I thought at first it was really? going to be airplanes, but it was so we used the. Uh, catabatic winds off the face of the mountain to just really? cork screws until we got to about twenty five thousand feet. Wow. But I mean, it wasn't a long free fall because the ground was at seventeen five. Yeah, so it was pretty much a hop and pop. But what was the uh, total free fall time?
1: two minutes and 10 seconds mm. and we we opened at four thousand feet so we went thirty four thousand feet at two minutes and 10 seconds obviously they're monitoring everything we did we got up to a highest speed of 189 miles an hour and free fall
0: and so you guys hired an outside video as well i'm seeing yeah
1: actually that's chris peterson uh who owns and runs uh skydance in davis california mm. he's i think chris has got like i don't know yeah like 10,000 jumps immensely talented guy he was there to yeah do all the photography and and be a resource and yeah super again it's back to people
0: in the team absolutely adding him
1: to the team was a huge difference maker
0: that is a beautiful beautiful view congratulations and I know you guys raised a to me a substantial amount of money for special operations yeah
1: so the 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 background of that is we said, look, if we're going to do this, it has to be a purpose. We looked around at different organizations, came up on special operations were. And so we talked to them. And and so, you know, I'm from the school of, you, hell, you may as well aim high. So I'm like, what would be a ridiculous amount to raise? And so I said, well, why don't we just try to raise a million dollars? Honestly, I had no idea how we were going to do that, and frankly, I didn't think we could. As of two days ago, we're at a 1026000 but the journey's not over. So any of your viewers, we would love to have, it's a great organization, you know it, they do really super worthy work, and they have the ability to be able to expand what they're doing, but honestly it takes dollars and it takes donations
0: so whether it's $10, 25, 50 or 100 every little bit helps. And uh, I believe will if you want to do a check I think it's www.specialops.org. Um, we'll confirm that right now. Yep. specialops.org. And look at that Alpha 5 right on the uh Yeah. the front cover. That is great. All right, or the banner, um, but you know your philanthropy, and, and we'll close it out here. Your philanthropy doesn't end there. You've always, throughout your career, given a lot to different causes. What what drives the the self desire to sure. give back? So here's our view.
1: If you've been fortunate in life, and we have been we think you have both an opportunity and actually an obligation to help other people. And so our not-for-profit, of Group Kids and Community Partners, we are really focused on under-resourced kids, locally, regionally, nationally. And right now we have about, and you're right, this is just one, we have about 24 active programs. Uh, up to and including, we started the first uh, private school in the state of Ohio, non-denominational, exclusively focused on under-resourced kids and looking at the total child. And it's a couple years in, and we're having a lot of success for that. And, and you know, I don't actually think, you and know, I had, we were talking earlier about success in business and, I don't actually think there's any greater reward than to help other people.
0: It fills the soul. Absolutely. It fills the soul.
1: It's a much higher standard and
0: sense of accomplishment than any financial gain. You know, and this is not patting myself on the back, I've always lived by a theory of it's not about me. And when you're part of a team, it's not about me. It's, And I'd always say, it's it's about those guys right there. Um, I bought my first brand new car, uh, sitting out there and Jordan, my wife, who's one hell of a woman, um, and not to be crossed, uh, says, Hey, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, hey, "It. I appreciate that, but that's not about me. Yeah. Like that is a car. Ultimately I need to make sure I, I, I leave you and my kids with a foundation. To be successful, yeah. though it's going to require hard work, yeah. uh, grit, resilience, determination, drive. Um, with that, and I'd love to close this question out. I mean you've lived one hell of a li- one hell of a life you've got a long way to go. One of the things that I left the military was, you know did I, did I make, make an impact? Mm-hmm. You know, where, where I rephrase that is, when all is said and done, what do you hope your legacy? Is that you leave behind, not sure. only for your kids and your family, sure. but for the ones you worked with or the ones you impacted yeah. through philanthropy? Yeah. We helped other people. That's simple. It's no more simple than that. Amen. Well, Larry, I I uh, can't thank you enough for joining us, um, just in pure admiration of what you've done with your life. We got to get you on one of these legacy expeditions, uh, skydiving uh, expeditions. I think you'd love it if you haven't been to Nepal. It is one hell of a place to jump. It Uh, was I will
1: probably have interest. (laughs) Okay.
0: All right. So at least we'll get one jump in. Larry, uh, all the best. Best wishes and for all the viewers. Thanks for listening. You can find Larry Connor at the Connor Group. Uh, And again, definitely pick up this culture book if there's a way to find it. Uh, And guys, leave a review. Your feedback counts. It's how we improve and we need your support. All right, guys. Till next time.